0: We're going to be looking at uh, another parable. I I thought that I would take the month of uh, September, part of it at least, uh, to preach on three or four parables of Jesus. And we looked at the sower and the seed a couple weeks ago, and uh, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 20. Uh, Jesus told parables. And uh, if you can think of parables as earthly stories that have heavenly meaning, and uh, and so this particular parable um, has a, uh, it's kind of like a, uh, it has a little stinger at the end. It's a, it's, there's a, uh, I, of all the parables that I have, you know, as through life have, you know, I've read all the parables and so forth and just thought about them. This one in particular has always uh, struck me as one I had a lot of questions about and, um, and you can, uh, it's titled, at least in my Bible, it's called Laborers in the Vineyard. So if you turn with me, Matthew chapter 20, we're going to read the first 16 verses. And here, uh, here is the word of God as it uh, has been given to us this morning. And, and uh, note with me as we read together, uh, beginning with verse 1. And Jesus here is, uh, he's talking to his disciples, and uh, he is in his... Uh, getting close to Jerusalem. He's in Perea, which is outside on the other side of, um, you might think of the Jordan River. He's, he's out in an area where is beyond Galilee, and uh, he's doing uh, ministry for about three months here uh, in Perea. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. And after agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, And he said to them, You go into your vineyard too. And when evening came, and the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. When those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius, taking what belongs to you and go? I choose to give to the last worker as I gave to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity so the last will be first, and the first last. Let's pray. Father, as we come to this text, it's, a, it's been one that's troubled me uh, for years uh, as I thought about, uh, Father, what it, uh, it's saying about the last being first and the first being last. And yet, Lord, there's, uh, there's some sweet and wonderful truths about the gospel that we uh, need to hear. Father, I need to remind myself and uh, and sing the sweet melody of grace, grace, God's grace, grace that's greater than all my sin. And so, Father, as we come to this text this morning, Lord, we've heard of many needs within this body. And Lord, as a pastor, and but just as a brother in Christ, and Father, knowing that we live in such a fallen and broken world, we I cannot, Father, but grieve with those that grieve, uh, that, we cannot, that we cannot help but mourn with those that mourn. Uh, Lord, we cannot help but uh, to think of the struggling and the, and the strife and, and the struggles that we go through in life. And some of those, Father, are more difficult than others. But Father, we thank you that uh, someday, and uh, even uh, as we read your word, we understand, Lord, that... Uh, Uh, We live, uh, Father, in a a world that has its greatest need is you. And, uh, Father, we need you this morning. We need your Holy Spirit to be our teacher. Uh, We need uh, the sweet voice of Jesus uh, speaking to us, not only in our ears as we hear the word of God, but, uh, Father, uh, speaking right to our hearts where we live and where we struggle. And, Father, to know that... uh, Jesus says, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And so, Father, whatever burden that we bring here this morning, Lord, we pray that we would lay it down at the foot of the cross, that we would lay it down at the feet of Jesus. And, Father, that we would hear the sweet voice of our great shepherd, our good shepherd, who says that he loves his sheep. And, and Lord, someday we will understand better uh, everything that goes on in our lives. But Father, we thank you that you carry our burdens, that we can cast those on you, because we know that you care for us, and you care for each one here this morning, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I don't know about you, but I'm never good at telling jokes. Uh, my problem is, Greg's really good at telling jokes. Uh, he told me one as I came in about preachers, and um, And I started to ask him before he he gave before uh, I was going to say, "Did you don't forget the punchline?" Because if you forget the punchline, you forget messes the joke up, right? Well, you know, if I tell a joke, I usually forget the punchline at the end because I'm so I'm I'm laughing before I get to the punchline, and so I can't hold it, you know, I, I for some reason. So I'm not a good joke teller. Um, but, but as you, uh, read this particular parable, it's, it's a parable that struck me as one that had a lot of questions because if we just read it at its, just as, as it is, we begin to ask ourselves questions and we would say, this is no way to run a business, right? If you paid everyone the same for different amounts of work, we would say that just doesn't seem fair, Right? We, we would say, I, I want to, uh, you know, if somebody said, well, you know, I think we should have equal outcomes for everyone who comes. And we would say, well, that's no way to run a business. But then Jesus is not talking about a business here, is he? Notice how he says in verse 1, for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. So, so this particular parable is set in a context. And so if we, don't, if we don't look at the context before and the context afterwards, we're going to miss the point of the parable because this is a parable about salvation. It's not a parable about, hey, earning my way to heaven. It's, you know, and some people uh, or, or, or think of it as terms of uh, rewards per se. Because Jesus, in chapter 19 of this, this verse, if you, if you can just back up a little bit, the, the, uh, in verse 16, as Jesus has been talking, he's, he interviewed the rich young ruler. And the rich young ruler had this question. What must I do in order to inherit eternal life? So that's the context. In other words, what can I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, well, the two great commandments, love God with all your heart, might, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And, and the man says, well, I've done all that. And Jesus says, well, go and sell everything you have. And it's kind of like, no, well, you really haven't. <laughs> uh, and the disciples are coming to Jesus, and they ask the question, well, because Jesus said this, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to be saved. And, you go like, and they said, well, who can be saved anyway? And Jesus says, well, with God, with man, it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. So that's the context, okay? And so in the process, then the the disciples come to Jesus. And I think it's Peter basically says, well, what, what do we get? We've been serving you for three years. We've left everything. We've left our homes. We've left our business. We left everything. What do we get for serving Christ? Have you ever asked that question? You know, I've been a Christian for all these years, serving the Lord and doing this for Jesus and the kingdom of God. What's in it for me? So... Jesus is actually dealing with two different things. One is, what does it mean to inherit eternal life? But then also, what does it mean for us as Christians to be a part of the church of Jesus Christ, to, to be recipients of God's grace and, and, to, and, and to eat at the table of God's grace daily? And so those circumstances are, are kind of surrounding this. And right before Jesus gets into the parable, notice verse 30. But many who are first will be last, and the last first, and then notice verse sixteen. He turns it around a little bit, so the last will be first, and the first last. So, so in that, so we look at the 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 what Jesus says, and it kind of shocks you, right? Wait, there. What do you mean the last first, the first last? I thought if the first, it's kind of like uh, you know, it's uh, the the fir, you know, first come first serve, right? Uh, Jesus is not saying that. So this is a parable that, that relates very, I think, very clearly to us because when we think about what God has done for us in Christ, he's paid what? A debt we could not pay. And he's lived a life that we couldn't live, right? Don't, we'd have to live a perfect life. The rich young ruler was saying, I think I've lived a perfect life. life. What do I need to be saved? Jesus has lived a perfect life without sin. He's, he's, He's paid a debt of sin that I could never pay. And salvation then comes to me as a free gift of God's grace. And what that means is then he puts us in his vineyard. The vineyard is the kingdom of God here. Remember in the Old Testament, the vineyard was Israel, right? And, uh, and in the New Testament, the vineyard is the church of Jesus Christ, the, the, the redeemed, the people of God. And, and so what Jesus is doing here is he's really addressing our misconception of what it means to be a Christian living in his kingdom. And so that some people, uh, like, for example, I've been a Christian, as far as I know, uh, for 60, I want to say 60 uh, almost 60 years 58 years okay 58 years I was saved as a kid but think about the thief on the cross when was he saved the last minute the last hour you know he had one hour before he died and he looked to Jesus and he says he says Jesus he looked at he says remember me when you come into your kingdom And and Jesus looked at him and says this day you'll be with me in paradise The last hour of life, you know. And so Jesus is talking about, he's talking about how, not just how we come into the kingdom, but our attitude once we are in the kingdom, right? In other words, there's going to be older Christians and younger Christians. And there's going to be some really baby Christians. I mean, in other words, those last hour Christians, but that we all come in the same way. We come in through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We come in through the death of Christ. And so, so it's interesting. So he breaks the parable up. And these, it, what happens is, as you read the parable, though, in that time, you had people, they would start to work at 6, and they would conclude work at 6 in the evening. That's 12-hour shift. Boy, can you imagine working five days, six-hour shift, or 12-hour shifts? I mean, that, that would be tough, right? 60 hours a week. Uh, but so, so, it, so the, the day was broken up into periods of time. So you, you had 6 o'clock, and then you have the third hour was 9 o'clock. The sixth hour was 12 o'clock. Um, the ninth hour would be uh, 3 o'clock, and the 11th hour was 5 o'clock. So right at 5 o'clock, there was a group of people standing out there. And, and, and notice who goes out to hire the laborers. It's the owner of the vineyard. The owner of the vineyard comes. Why does the owner come and he doesn't send his foreman? That, that kind of is a question as you read this. Because what did God do? God sent his son, Right? His son, his only son, his beloved son, he sent him in the incarnation. He sent Christ. Christ came to us. Christ sought us. Christ drew us through the gospel into the vineyard. And so part of this, the shocker is that when he begins to pay them, now, realistically, if you were going to do this and you wanted to avoid any um, employment issues, what would you do? I would pay the people that work the longest first, Right. So, they wouldn't know how much I paid the people at the end. Now, so just from a human perspective, Jesus turns the parable around and turns it up on its head. And he says, Well, no, he tells his foreman. Now, that's interesting, too, that he is the one that goes out and hires people, but then he has his foreman come, and he's the one that's supposed to pay them, and he pays the, the last people first. But he pays them one denarius. And the denarius there is, a, is, a, is, is really what he's saying. That denarius was, was the, if you can think about it, if you were a full time employee and you, had a, you were paid a denarius, that was, the, that was a great wage. It was more than, and these are day laborers. They typically would not get a denarius for a day labor, they'd get maybe a half or they'd get less than that. They wouldn't get a denarius. So if you're a full-time employee, you would get, you might, you would get a denarius because that was a really, really good wage. You're making some good money. You could buy four or five donkeys with that. Now, I don't know if you could buy four or five cars with that. Not the prices of cars today, but with the inflation. But the point is is that, that the denarius was, was definitely a really good wage. And so he made a bargain with them. You get a denarius. But what part of the, 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 the parable is for us to understand that how often do we undervalue the gift and the gifts that God gives to us in the gospel, don't we? I mean, we take, I mean, think about what's involved in receiving a denarius from God. What's involved in receiving eternal life from God? Think about everything that's involved in eternal life. There's for forgiveness of sins. There's being justified by faith. We have peace with God. So we have this standing before God, but it's also about our being adopted into the family of God. It's also about being an heir and co-heirs with Jesus Christ. It's also about getting the fullness of heaven and the blessings of heaven. Uh, I remember as a kid, uh, Lake Como Baptist Church, and I, I, I would always, I would look at my, my uncle Wayne was, was, was preaching. And my, he's my great uncle, actually, my dad's uncle. And, uh, but every time he would hear the song, just give me a cab, build me a cabin in the corner of Glory Land. He used to just, I could see his face go. <sighs> He's saying, I don't, want just a, I don't want just a cabin in Glory Land. God gives all of his children what? A, a, yeah, a mansion in glory. He said, I, I, that's not even biblical. <laughs> You know, I don't want to. I don't want this a built. You know, just a rundown cabin in the corner, gloryland. I want a mansion in glory. And those and and so what we oftentimes think is like, Lord, I've been a Christian so long, I've been working for Jesus, and man, I just I just kind of want to one up on everybody. Guess what? We're one equal with one another. That's what. That's what it means to know that we are God's children. And so what Jesus is correcting here actually is he's helping the disciples understand what grace is all about, right? I forget that daily. I don't know about you, but sometimes I say, well, Lord, I deserve a little bit better, don't you? Don't you think so? I mean, Lord, I've been been preaching for a while and I've been doing this and I've been doing that. And God's saying, John, you don't understand the first thing about grace. I mean, think about it. How often do we forget that what I, I'd never get what I deserve as a Christian because I know that I deserve eternal death, right? Outside of Christ, I deserve hell. One sin would send me to hell. But I've done more than one sin in my life. I, I I, and I think most of us would agree we all have, right? So God doesn't give us what we deserve. He gives us the opposite of what we deserve. And anything opposite of what we deserve, that's grace, but think about what the disciples are, are thinking in their minds and, and, and even how we begin to think in terms of, um, I think of almost almost like a mercenary, you know, a mercenary soldier, they just served why, Not for God and country, they were serving for <laughs> how much I could get paid. Hopefully they didn't get killed in the process. So Jesus is dealing with this error because the Pharisees thought, why should God save tax collectors and sinners why would Jesus be concerned about a thief on the cross who basically was probably a murderer he was a thief there was nothing he could do to earn his way into the kingdom of God and it should amaze us that God's grace to us is all without merit that's where we, I think when, you know, when we sing a hymn like Amazing Grace, does it ever like, you're, you know, it's, it's like, it's amazing, isn't it? It's not boring. Grace, grace isn't boring. But, you know, we, we sing, you know, sometimes we forget, we, we forget that we are sinners still yet saved by grace, right? We're sinners and we're saints by calling. And I like to add a third one, by the way. It's called sufferers, right? We are saints and sinners living in a fallen world and we equally think and participate in the sufferings and struggles of one another, right? Because we, we, we live in a fallen world. And Jesus is dealing with, with that, that attitude that, you know, that salvation is totally a work of God's grace. So the privilege that the workers have here. You know what the privilege is? Number one, they get to know the master, right? Number two, they get to be in the vineyard. They get to be under the umbrella of God's blessing. To be in a child of God is to be living under the umbrella of grace. And it's as if you, everywhere you walk, you, you walk under the umbrella of God's grace. All, and it's all unmerited, it's not like I earned this, and boy, Lord, I deserve this. No, this totally of grace. One pastor came with a story. Uh, he he actually was was interviewing a lady in his church, and she was having a problem with this fact that we're saved by grace alone. And she says, I, "I I just don't like that concept." She said, "I'd rather I'd rather have something that I could I could give, or I could I could I could earn something that I could." Uh, I could say that I could do in order to get salvation. And you say, well, that doesn't seem strange. But her logic was this. Well, she says, if I can do something for God, that, would, oh, that, that means God would owe me. You know, there's a passage in Scripture that says God's a debtor to no man, right? But if I can do something for Jesus that's really extraordinary, something really, really important, then I could put God under obligation, Brothers and sisters, I think we think that sometimes, don't we? I mean, we don't say it, but I think we expect, Lord, I am a child of God, therefore you owe... Oh, wait there. (laughs) I've been serving God. He owes... No, he doesn't owe me anything. And, And so she said, so if I'm saved by sheer grace alone, this is what she said, that means that I... She says, there's nothing he cannot ask of me. Because I do have a debt, right? It's called a debt of love. Lord, whatever you ask is not too much, right? Because I'm not doing it because in order to be saved, I'm doing it because I already, already am saved. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a debt of gratitude to God, for his amazing grace. And so, so Jesus is addressing that error, but I think he's also addressing the, the error that, that, that we sometimes have this attitude towards God that, that, um, that we can, like in this case, what, what do the men do? The men that, that came in, they worked all day. What do they begin to do? They begin to criticize the master, don't they? Remember that? Notice right there at the end. And he said, He um, said, Verse 11, And on receiving their denarius, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to the last worker as I give to you. So he's not talking about rewards. I have to earn. I'm going to, you know, that's a different aspect of being a Christian. And even those rewards are rewards of grace, right? Your gifts as a Christian are gifts of grace. They're called charismata. It's the word charis. It means grace. And you say, well, I use my gift to serve God. Yeah, but that was a gift of the Holy Spirit. charisma <laughs> charismata. Uh, well, I'm serving in God's vineyard. That's grace. Uh, I'm, uh, you know, uh, even as we serve one another, that's grace. Whether it's, a, a, you know, a, a gift of mercy, a gift of serving, whatever that is. And so Jesus is dealing with, with, with this attitude of that sometimes we think it's not fair. And what happens is that invades our spirit, our thinking, and all of a sudden the Christian life becomes, it can, becomes a struggle. It's just so hard to be a Christian. I don't know. It's hard to sing when you think that God's owing you something, right? It's hard to be. uh, uh, Can you imagine the the disciples at the foot of the cross, and they're thinking, hearing Jesus say to this man, uh, son, you will be with me in paradise. Can you imagine them grumbling and saying, are you serious? We're going to be giving our lives for, you know, for the service of Christ and, and and." And this guy gets in and he doesn't do anything. He doesn't get any time to serve. Well, that's grace. That's God's grace. Uh, If we make salvation based on what we do, in other words, how much time we put in and and all this other thing, what do we have to offer somebody that's on death row, for example? Like, or let's just say you're visiting somebody. I remember visiting uh, the owner of a bar in Nitro and his wife uh, called me and, and uh, I went to the hospital. Uh, and he was at the end of life. They just given him a few days, less than a few days, a few hours of, of life. What do you offer somebody that's looking at death in the face? You offer them the same thing that God offers you in salvation, right? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and what? You shall be saved. That, that's 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 the, that's the pure, unadulterated grace of God that does that. And you say, but but why, Lord, would would you do it? Why why does God save people some at the end of their life, and some people in the middle of their life, and some people they save? Like I could say, well, Lord, you know, you saved me when I was ten years old, and I don't understand that. I mean, I and yet all I can say it was it was grace. It's God's grace. God's mercy, God's forgiveness. See, Jesus died for the ungodly. So whether you are moral, you're a morally dead person or an immoral dead person, you're still dead, right? And you have to be born again. That's what Jesus said, right? Nicodemus. Nicodemus says, how can a man be born again and enter a second time into his mother's womb? And he says, you are a teacher <laughs> of the Jews and you're talking that way? He says, unless you're born of the Spirit and of water, you cannot even see the kingdom of God. You can't even, you, you don't even know the first thing about the kingdom. You have to be born again. The Holy Spirit has to open your eyes and give you faith and repentance. That's, that's totally a gift of grace. What that does is it steals all your boasting, right? I have nothing to boast about. Why did I believe and somebody else doesn't? That's sure grace. But when I pray, I pray that that same grace might open the eyes of others. And, um, and by the way, when we understand it as grace, it takes away a lot of the grumbling because <laughs> these guys were, I mean, think about there was not a whole lot to sing. There wouldn't be a whole lot to sing about if we thought we had earned the privilege of being a part of the kingdom of God, would there be? I mean, think about it. Come thou fountain of every blessing to my heart to sing thy praise. Streams of mercy never ceasing call for what? Some melodious praise. I mean, there's a, there's a sense in which our hearts should well up with thanksgiving. It's all grace. I mean, it should be grace that's drawing us to church every week. You know what? It's grace. No, it's obligation. I got to go. I got to put my time in. Somebody's taking attendance. No. It's, it's, it's unadulterated God's amazing grace. And guess what? The, the, the owner of the vineyard, what? He's going out and doing what? He's calling people to himself like the good shepherd. My sheep hear my voice. And when I speak, they'll come and they'll come in. That's that's how we look at this. And so so I want to just conclude with three three lessons, I think, that we learn about God's character and the way he saves us. And number one is this. God's sovereign in his distribution of his grace. It's sovereign grace. God's the one that dispenses it. Uh, You know, it's not. I, I can't. I'm not. I'm, I'm no. I'm no. No one or nobody to tell him how he should dispense it. For example, Romans nine says that it says, you know, how can you? Who are you to question God? If God wants to show mercy, He's going to show mercy. I have no no place in advising God or telling God, Lord, let me let me tell you how to be God. <laughs> I mean, that would be arrogant in the first place. But sometimes we think that. Well, Lord, I wouldn't do it that way. Well. We come into the kingdom based on his sovereign grace and his call to us. And, and we say, but why did he do it in love? He predestined us into adoption of a son. It's all about love. We heard about love this morning. In other words, it's God's love that overshadows everything else. And you say, well, well what, what made God do that? It was just love. He decided to love you. Even before you were born, he loved you. That's sovereign grace. And what else we learn in this parable is this, is that God acts with absolute integrity in everything he does in your life and my life. You know, integrity just means that, you know, there's no, I think of integrity as somebody that keeps their word, right? Someone who's dependable, honest, and so forth. God absolutely works in our lives with total integrity, absolute integrity. And and when we don't understand when things happen the way they do, or why did this, uh, uh, what happens, uh, I I know as a Christian, this happened to me a lot, is I would, uh, something would happen, and I'd look at somebody else, and they're doing so well. Lord, why why can't my life be more like theirs? (laughs) And you say, well, did Peter and John have any problem with that? Or James and John? I mean, think about James and John right here in chapter 20, chapter 20, later on. Uh, they come to Jesus and put their mommy up to go ask Jesus, ask him to let us sit on the right and on your left side. Would you just would you just do that? And um, yeah, I guess I didn't fix my watch. Uh, and and so they come. So she so 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 James and John's mom comes to Jesus and says. Uh, uh, Good master, uh, could I ask you a favor for my boys? Could Johnny and Jimmy, could they, could, could they sit on your right and left side? And, and Jesus says, it's not for me. That's for my father to decide that. And then later on, when Peter has denied Jesus, later on in John chapter 21, J- Jesus says to, to Peter, he says, Peter, you're going to die on the cross. You're going you're to be able to carry yourself. Somebody else is going to carry you. You're going to die on the cross. And Peter did buy, by the way, if you read any accounts of his crucifixion, he died, but he died upside down on a cross. But you know what Peter says at that point? He looks around and sees John. Lord, what's going to happen to him? (laughs) What about him? Have you ever done that as a Christian? What about that person? Why, Why is it that they seem to have no difficulties and struggles? And you know what Jesus told him? Peter, follow me. Follow me. It's none of your business. Follow me. <laughs> it's none of your business. Follow me. In other words, what, he basically said, what's it to you, Peter? You follow me. I mean, that, that's humbling, isn't it? Because, you know, we, we, want, we, we, feel, we feel like, Lord, let's, let's even things up here a little bit, you know? Let, uh, I mean, I, I don't know that all 12 except for John, the apostle, died as a martyr either by fire or by crucifixion or by, you know, whatever. Uh, and so they died um, that way. And so, uh, but so we, we learn that God does what he does with absolute integrity. Now, anything that we receive as a result is grace. But there's something else here I think that we learn from this text, and that is, is that God is totally generous. Right? He gave each of them what? The denarius represents, what we say? Eternal life. That's more than generous, right? Given what we owe. A debt that we cannot pay. A life that we could not live. Perfect life. And God gives us eternal life. The forgiveness of sins. Being justified by faith, we have peace with God. In other words, it's a display of God's amazing grace. God is totally generous. He, and he doesn't just give, uh, in other words, his grace isn't strained. You know, uh, had my mom, when she would strain, she would make apple, uh, tomato juice. You know what you do with, a, you get a strainer, Right. You boil all those tomatoes and everything at the end of the season, <laughs> everything you have, and you put them, you know, and you boil them, and then you put it, they got the strainer, and then you, you know, and you got a little thing, you, you smash them down, and what, what happens? All that juice comes out in a jar, and she used to can all that stuff. Oh, that makes me hungry. Um, yeah, because, you know, I mean, it was really good. <laughs> that, that's, that's good eating. But the point is, is that God doesn't even, God doesn't do that with his grace. He doesn't strain it through a strainer. He pours out his grace. If you, if you always see these, I mean, what would happen when God would anoint a prophet? What was that? He would do this. They would, it says they would take a, a flask of oil and they would do what? Pour it out. So what does God do in his love? It says that he pours out his love on us. That's the Holy Spirit's work. So he, he floods our life with his presence through the Holy Spirit. And you say, but I don't feel it. I don't, you know, everything we experience as a Christian doesn't have to involve our feelings. Our feelings will happen. My feelings, by the way, I mean, I get up in the morning, I don't feel good. Maybe it's my age. (laughs) I got allergies, whatever it is. But the point is, is if I went on my feelings and I said, boy, based on my feelings, am I a Christian today? (laughs) Wow, that's like that's like picking a daisy and saying, she loves me, she loves me not. I mean, you know, it's just, you know, depending on which, <laughs> what, what happens. I mean, you know, you, you just feel like that, that you're just, you're struggling. But the punchline here is that the first shall be last and the last first. And he's not, what, what, what's he saying here is he's basically saying, you know, when we understand grace, we'll understand like Paul, I'm the chief of sinners. Jesus said, the greatest in the kingdom is what? The servant of all. And who is the servant of all, the most of the of the servant extempore, Jesus Christ. Philippians 2. <laughs> he laid aside his glory. What he, what he would could prefer to do is the glory and the praise of heaven. He laid it aside and he came and became a man. And then he died, he humbled himself and went to the cross and died uh, a criminal death. So how should we respond? And I think the only thing I could think of is sing (laughs) Amazing Grace, right? I mean, celebrate grace. Uh, Celebrate God's amazing grace to you, that you are a part of the kingdom of God. That God paid the debt that you owed. You owe a debt for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is what? Eternal life. That's a debt that you could never pay. No matter how long you worked in the vineyard, it would always be a debt of gratitude. Lord, thank you for saving me and putting me in this vineyard. And by the way, thanking God this vineyard, this is a local vineyard, right? And thanking God to celebrate grace that he's put you in this vineyard, to hear the word of God, to be responding to the grace of God, and then to live our life out with this gratitude that the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Let's cross in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this parable and thank you, Lord, for your grace. Lord, we don't deserve it, but Lord, you didn't do it because we deserved it. You did it because we were undeserving. And that's what grace is all about. And Father, if we're here as recipients of grace, Lord, may we sing with gratitude in our hearts that you've saved us by grace alone. And Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going